Hey there, and welcome to the Just Keep Vlogging podcast. I'm Kim Anderson from KimAndersonConsulting.com, and I'm here to give you a regular dose of blogging adrenaline. For some of you guys are going to probably make you laugh a little bit because you may identify with these things having detours you in the past, but I'm bringing them up because as a blogging coach, uh, these are the kind of reoccurring issues that I see with people um, on their blogging journeys and the things that really cause them great distress, that it causes them um, frustration, it causes them to want to throw in the towel. And remember, I am here, my goal, my whole purpose in doing what I do is to get people to pursue this until they reach their success story. That is my heart because blogging has really made a huge difference in my life, uh, my life flexibility, my ability to be around for my kids, for my family, travel, like not have a boss. All these things have really contributed to a better quality of life. It doesn't mean life is perfect. (laughs) It doesn't mean, you know, bad things are Speed bumps don't happen. It just means that when they do happen, I have a lot less stress in my life that uh, speed bumps me or jacks me up or whatever it may be. And so I want to help you guys also get to a place where, you know, your blog is fulfilling some part of a success story that you have created for yourself or want for yourself. So these are my nine top blogging detours that you should avoid. All right. Number one. Getting sidetracked by success stories. We, my friends, are marketers. (laughs) So, of course, when we are wanting to sell something or, you know, get more people on board with something or to attract more people to do something, participate in something, buy something, whatever it may be, we're not going to put our worst stories forward. We are going to put the best stories forward. It's why, you know, nobody who sells weight loss products is going to come out and say, I lost five pounds in seven months. Like that's not going to sell anything, (laughs) right? Because that's not like, it's, yeah, that's great. Good for you. It's amazing that you lost weight, but we're looking for, (laughs) you know, Sheila lost 30 pounds in 30 days with blah, blah, blah. Right. And those are the things where we're like, wow, 30 pounds in 30 days. That's amazing. I want to do that. And the same thing goes for the blogging world online marketing world, whatever you're getting into. Like when people are selling courses, eBooks, trainings, whatever it may be, they're always going to put forth these great success stories because those are the ones that, that they're going to shine. They're going to show, you know, the best outcome from this thing that this person has created. And when I say like, there's nothing wrong with that. Let me point that out. Like there's nothing wrong with that. I use success stories in my own marketing efforts, but for some people, who are in a season of feeling rather desperate or really wanting to see the success. They're, you know, in a dip, they're feeling frustrated, whatever. When they hear these success stories, it can make them veer off the path that they know is best for them to pursue a new course, pursue a new training, pay outrageous amounts of money for these trainings for the hope of making this thing happen. And then when you're done and it's below your expectations, you're frustrated, you're hurt, you're mad, you're angry because it didn't work for you or whatever it may have been. 
and it totally derailed the efforts that you did put into what you were doing. And so I want to encourage you guys that as you go through your blogging journey, beginning, middle, advanced, wherever you're at, just be careful with the success stories and note that like you're, you're an entrepreneur, you're doing your best. And some of these things are absolutely going to be awesome. Some of them are going to be game changers for you. But if it's something that you are doing out of desperation, because like you see that success story, you really had no intentions whatsoever of spending that money or of, you know, signing up for that thing or for doing any of that in this particular season, it's not really your next best thing but you feel like you have to do it because of this amazing success story. And my gosh, like if you don't do it, you're going to miss out and you could be that person or whatever. Just remember, like filter that information, keep a filter on for yourself from success stories and always ask yourself, is this my next best thing? If that thing is your next best thing, there's nothing wrong with doing it. But I want to keep you guys from being detoured by these, you know, programs or products or whatever that just aren't really for you in this season. In most cases, most things that are out there, they reopen, you know, like they may only be open for a certain period of time. That's a marketing strategy for, you know, creating a sense of urgency or creating a sense of scarcity. Like that's, that's everybody uses that in marketing. Um, but there's, there's a high probability across the board that most of the things that we have in our world and our blogging world, because those people want to make money again, are going to open up again. And yeah, the price may be higher down the road. I get it. Uh, but if it is at that point, maybe you'll be in a better place to afford that thing, even if the price has gone up. So just things to keep in mind. Don't get sidetracked by success stories. Next, I want to encourage you guys to make just, you know, try not to make decisions based on what's popular instead of what is good for your niche or for your audience. So I see this a lot, like people will jump on, uh, membership is a really good example. So a lot of people will jump on the membership, you know, the membership wagon. They're like, I'm going to make a membership community. I'm going to make a membership community. And that's all fine and dandy. But number one, I mean, you got to have a group of people who want to pay you every month, right? Like, like you have to have a group of people that are willing to pay for whatever you're going to offer on a monthly basis. That's harder to do for business to consumer businesses. So like if you're selling to stay at home moms, it may be harder for them to get on board with a reoccurring payment every month. You know, when they're used to paying $7.99 for Netflix a month and then this membership thing that you've got, you know what I mean? Like it's just something to think about. Like when people are doing business trainings or it's in relation to growing their business, like I don't like membership sites related to my business growth to me can be a no brainer. Like I don't really worry as much about those, but when it comes to just like everyday life things, um, I'm looking for really strong benefit to continue to pay for that thing over and over every month. So this is just a brief example of something that I feel like, you know, somebody comes out and is like, memberships are the next best thing or the next big thing or the next amazing thing. And everybody should be doing memberships. It creates, it creates reoccurring revenue and it solves all your problems and it's amazing. And so everybody's like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then when they launch it to their list, to their community, to their people, it's like crickets. And they did all this work and I set up all these things and they did all these things, you know what I mean? And they got nothing out of it. Um, because the truth is that it wasn't really right for their niche and it wasn't really right for their audience, but they did it because it seems like that's what's popular and people want to do what is, you know, what's the next big thing, like, right? Because it's part of it is like, a, we need to keep up with the times, which I totally understand. Um, I deal with that struggle as well, like, you know, because people talk all the time about how amazing Instagram is and this is where all the brands are and all these kind of things. And I get it. 
But for me at this point in my journey, especially with like my thrifty little mom brands, like Instagram is not a place that I spend a lot of time because the return on the time that I spend is just not there at this point compared to other activities that I could do at this point that would move the ball forward. Um, so even though I go to like blogging conferences and I sit in Instagram trainings and I hear all the things, my brain is still sitting there saying, you know what, like really my people hang out on Facebook and really I've already got a strong thing going on Facebook. It's pretty engaged. If I continue to work on that, that's where I'm going to see growth and I can continue to work on Instagram or I can pick a season to work on Instagram, but I'm not going to derail what I'm doing to chase Instagram if that's not really my next best thing. Even if it's popular, even if it's where everybody's going, I have to pick and choose what I choose to do based on my people, my audience, and my niche. So just things to take into consideration. Okay, number three. One of the top blogging detours that I see is overthinking your audience. So a lot of times <laughs> I encourage my community um, to read a book called Story Brand by Donald Miller. And the reason that I often have people read this book is because I feel like it really can help them anchor themselves when they feel very confused about who they're talking to and kind of that overarching plan of like, you know, where's your brand going? What is this brand doing? What journey are you taking your audience on? I feel like it's just a really good anchor, but it also has this other unexpected effect in that um, it does two things, which is another point that I'm going to talk about next as my next point. But the first point is, um, for some people, it helps them really clarify their audience, but then for other people, it almost like makes them overthink their audience. And this happens in a lot of situations, like when people are doing avatar exercises or anything along those lines, like they get so in the weeds with the avatar that they forget, you know, that there is this dynamicness about websites where you know, you don't really, you can't control who comes to your website. You can't control who joins your email list for the most part. I mean, you can control it to the extent of what you're writing about or what your offer for your email um, subscribers are. Like those things can be niche down and they can be specific and they can attract the right audience. But overall, you really don't have a lot of control over who decides to sign up for what or who visits your website and for what reason or where they're coming from or how they found you. And so I find, you know, like when people get into digging into their avatar, it's like their avatar becomes some form of control over like who comes, who arrives, who does what, but you can't control that. The avatar um, or your target audience is meant to help you be able to number one, you know, write content in a way that really resonates with the audience you're trying to reach. Two, it is a guide for writing strong copy. So copywriting is really the art of writing to the, for the purpose of selling or for the writing. I mean, for the purpose of getting someone to take an action. Okay. So knowing your target audience can help you make better, wording on your opt-in form, wording that would compel that person that you really want to attract to join your list. Um, so I think what happens is a lot of people are like, well, now I'm only you know, like, I have to write all this stuff just for these people. And if other people don't my list, like they kind of freak out, like, because it feels out of control with something they're trying to control. So note that 
really the purpose of narrowing down your audience. The real purpose behind this is just a general guide for the way that you write copy, for the way that you call people to action, for the way that you connect with your audience. But it's perfectly acceptable that there are going to be people that come to your website who are not those people. And that's okay. Because for me, um, in my situation, I have a party blog. And yeah, like the people who come to my blog may never ever come back again. But for me at this season of my blog, it's okay because each one of those people, even if they're coming to view one of my old, old personal finance articles, which has nothing to do with parties, if they're coming to view one of those, for me, it's a page view. Or for me, it's an affiliate sale. And so I kind of compartmentalize my income and my expectations that way. And I say, you know what? I'm not going to obliterate all of my money posts that still drive traffic because even if it's not my target audience, it still counts as paid views. It still counts as income and I'm still helping people. So that is kind of to my next point, which is I think a lot of people end up putting their, not only their audiences in a box, but they put their blog in a small box and they're trying to make it so perfect when they need to realize that it's really a dynamic thing. And the best thing that you can do, you know, is set up your website, organize your website in a way that's user-friendly, that helps your, your target audience navigate or get to know you or opt in. Like, you can control all those things. So do that. And that's kind of where you put your energy into attracting the right audience. But ultimately, you really can't control any of those variables. And it's better to just kind of let go of that, like, I'm attracting all these wrong people and just recognize, like, even if you have old content and you've kind of changed your vision or you've changed your lanes or you've narrowed down your audience and you're still getting people coming to old content that doesn't really relate to what you're doing now, but it's producing page views or it's, you know, generating affiliate income on those posts, even though they may not have much to do necessarily with what you write about now, it's okay. Like that is another source of income for you. It's another source of page views for you. It gets you further towards your goals. So you don't have to blow all those things away. Um, and you don't have to freak out and you don't have to be like, and I think the other thing that happens is like once people get down to like some avatar, then they like get scared of writing again. Like when they feel like they've pinpointed their audience, like they get excited about writing again, but then they're like, oh, I have to write just to this specific person. And what do I say? So it starts to create this pressure. And so what I want to free you guys from is when you do start to narrow down your audience at some point in your journey, whether that's day one or you give yourself, you know, 30 posts to figure it out or whatever it may be. Um, when you start to really narrow down on your audience, don't let that be some sort of detour or stumbling block for you because you're so like wound up about having to write to those people. Keep it casual. Just write your copy towards that audience. You know, make your post informative for anyone that might come. Share your own story in your content. Gear your freebies or your email list things towards the audience you're really trying to attract and note that you really can't control that. So you need a little bit, you know, let go of control. Don't put it all in a box. Be happy for anybody who comes along to um, view your content, visit your website, whatever. Welcome them with open arms, but ultimately don't let that be such a stressful part of your process that you stop writing or stop creating, you know, or whatever. So just things to keep in mind. So be careful with overthinking your audience and then thereby putting your blog in some sort of small box where you say, okay, now that I know my audience, this is all that this can ever be or whatever, or that I need to like totally shift everything. And, and you can do that. And, and I'm, the reason I'm mentioning like story brand is because I see people who get in there and they sort of latch so hard onto that concept and story brand is great for the purposes of clarifying your audience. But as far as like blogging goes, you know, like a lot of what he's talking about um, has to do with like brick and mortar business 
websites and business websites and things, which may not be like bloggers who are creating these online magazines and things like that. So just keep that in mind. Don't feel like you've got to put your, you know, your blog in this like specific, like super niche down audience box and nothing else can happen. Like just allow the people who are going to come to come, um, to consume the content that you've created for that purpose, to be able to share and inform and help people with your blog content. Okay. Next, I think sometimes, again, this, this kind of falls back into the, like what's popular thing. Um, a lot of people may hear, okay, like what's new in blogging is we all need to niche down. And I personally, uh, decided to niche down just for clarity for myself, for SEO purposes. Like there's a lot of reasons why I decided to niche down out of a lifestyle blog. Um, and there are plenty of people that I talk with on a daily basis. They're like, I really like to write about a lot of different things. And I don't want anybody to ever feel like they can't write about a lot of different things. Uh, one, um, really interesting concept is, uh, coming from the course, uh, stupid, simple SEO. Um, by Mike Pearson, he talks about in that course, and if you haven't got it, I encourage you guys pretty much at whatever stage of blogging you're in to get it. Even if you just go through the first few units to start with, where he talks about like really organizing the categories on your website, he talks about the con the concept of, um, content siloing or category silos, which is basically like if you have a lifestyle blog and you cover multiple topics, each of your categories, uh, can basically, behave like its own website, if that makes sense. And you want to take the course to get more information about that. Um, but essentially, you know, like if you write, let's say you're a, um, um, let's say you're a needlework blogger. And so, well, that's very niche specific. I won't use that one. Let's say, you know, let's just say you're a lifestyle blogger who likes to talk about home decor, organization, and family, like pretty much your home decor, category is the place where like all of your home decor content and subcontent goes. And then, um, it's almost like you're interlinking between all those articles. And if you want to find out more, you can always Google the content silos, I believe is what it's called. Um, and that kind of can give you a better, it's, it's a little bit complex, but it can give you a better understanding of how you can sort of niche yourself down, even as a lifestyle blog. Um, <clears throat> but when I'm talking about niching down too far, niching down, however you want to say it, you know, I think there comes a point like where people are like, well, I'm going to be a chocolate cake blog. And it's like, okay, chocolate cake. So that's cool. But your content's going to be kind of limited if you're like just writing about chocolate cakes. Right. Um, now if you have a blog about chocolate confections, that might be different, right? Because then you could do, um, potentially like candy and you could do milkshakes and you could do coffees. Like if you just want to do like coffee creations, then that's niche, but there's a lot of things you can do with that. And so just be careful. Like when you start to think about how far you're going to niche down, ask yourself, like, can I continue to come up with content over and over and over for years to come with this, this niche that I'm talking about? And can it be something that I can do on a regular basis? Is it something, you know, um, I had a friend, uh, back in the day when I first started blogging, um, who actually had a blog before me. So when I found out that he had a blog, I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Uh, but he had a blog that was specifically, I like to use him as an example cause it's very interesting to me. Um, he had a blog that was really niche. Like it was basically like painting miniature war figurines and then like hand painting them 
and then setting them up in like war scenarios. And so he, I guess, had like affiliate links to the little miniatures, but then he wrote books, basically like eBooks about how to set up these little like war scenarios, like reenactments with your little mini figurines. That's super niche. Like I don't really know of a lot of people. I mean, I, I randomly meet people who are into that, but it's very, very specific. And in those cases, like, you know, he, he can make good money from that small niche of people and that small niche of following. Um, but it won't probably be on the same level as a lifestyle blog would be that would, you know, have a lot more traffic or have a lot more eyeballs or whatever it may be. So when you're thinking about like how far to niche down, just take that into consideration. Like how can you niche down far enough that you can still create lots of new content and you can still diversify your audience and your following. And I think that's kind of key to when you're niching down. <clears throat> okay. Next. Avoid. One thing that I see people do as a detour. They avoid their own work by helping others with theirs. <laughs> and I'm not going to say that. I mean, I, I'm a blog coach, right? So I really, really, really enjoy helping other people with their stuff. But I still get my work done. Um not necessarily true in kindergarten. I distinctly remember uh, one of the few conversations I had with my mother, when, and this is crazy because this is kindergarten, right? Uh, I came home from kindergarten and I must have had a note in my folder and I remember my mom saying, hey, um, your teacher sent a note home today that says that you're too busy helping your classmates at your table to do your own work. She's like, and she goes, I know that you can do your own work. She's like, but you are, you're trying to be helpful. So you're trying to help other kids who are having a hard time with their work. She's like, but that means you're not getting your own stuff done. And I remember being like, okay. And it was true. Like I can still remember being a kindergartner and during activities, the kids beside me wouldn't understand. And so then I would basically be the like in-person little teacher that's like, oh, here's what you do and trying to help them. Um, but I find this happens to a lot of people in blogging, especially as you guys gain more knowledge and more understanding in how blogging works. Like, so you get, you geek out about it basically. And so when you have blogging friends, they're lost or confused or need help, like, or, you know, I have, I've had people who really, really early on, like first month or so of blogging, start guest posting on other people's blogs, which isn't a big deal. But if you don't have a lot of time to blog in the first place, and now you're, writing content for everybody else and not building up your own foundation of content, then that's a distraction. That's a detour. And so I just want to encourage you guys to be aware of that. Like if you find yourself so busy trying to solve other people's problems versus working on your own stuff, it may be a sign that you should be a VA <laughs> or it's a sign that you're, um, you're potentially just procrastinating on your own things, uh, to help other people be successful. So Remember to plant on your own land, get your own garden set up before you go over and help your neighbor. <laughs> so just keep those things in mind. Don't let it be a detour, a detour for you. Okay, next, this is a big one. And I can attest to this and I've been told this, but I, you know, creating basically a bunch of blogs because you start blogging, you're so excited about it. And then you come up with all these creative other blog niches or ideas that you want to do. And so you say, Oh, I'm gonna start another blog. And then I'm gonna start another blog. And you're trying to run all these things while you're also homeschooling or working a full-time job or <laughs> doing all these different things that really spread you so thin that you can't full fully do one thing and you're half doing a bunch of other things. And so even with me, you know, thrifty little mom, 
and Kim Anderson Consulting are two things that I have to strongly compartmentalize at this point. Like when I talk about batching, like at this moment, I'm sitting down and I'm recording as many podcasts as humanly possible back to back because that is one way that I get stuff done when trying to run two things well. Um, that's one of my Lord, like support mechanisms or whatever for being able to make that happen. But I would encourage you guys who, cause this is how I deal with that. Cause I'm, I am the same way. Um, so I don't want you to feel like you're like, I'm like, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. <laughs> one thing that I've had to do to help me rein things in number one, I cannot buy domains when wine is involved. That's the number one thing. <laughs> True confessions of community. Just kidding. But seriously. Um, so I think the key to kind of getting over this and one way that you can help yourself kind of rein this in is when you do get an idea, just go to like Namecheap, which is like a domain registration place and just buy the domain and then park it like hoard them. So when you come up with ideas for new blogs, get it out of your system <laughs> for $10 a year, just go buy the domain, park it and go back to work on what you're already trying to grow. And the only alternative this, to this is if you've started a blog, you're in it and you're like, dear Lord, this is not what I wanted to do. Why did I pick this? This is not the right niche for me whatsoever. I hate every second of this. I need to do something else. If you're in that moment of like, I hate this, you should definitely potentially start over. But I'm not a big proponent of starting over. I'm a big proponent of pivoting. Um, so just keep that in mind. But it may help you if you're a person who comes up with lots of blogs, new blog ideas, to just buy the domain and park it. Buy the domain, park it. Buy the domain, park it. And then move on with life. Um, because it sort of satisfies that curiosity of like, ooh, what if I start a new blog? And it, But without you having to actually do it. Because running two blogs is super hard. And even for me, I mean, Kim Anderson Consulting isn't even a blog. Like, I make podcasts. I don't write content on there. So my other website isn't really a blog. It's really just landing pages of information for courses or retreats or coaching information or, you know, any kind of like tools, resources I have. It's just a resource um, to support the podcast basically or to support coaching clients or to support retreat attendees or to support membership um, people. So, that's where all of that takes place. So I'm not really running, I am running two platforms, but I'm not trying to run two blogs. So just keep, keep that in mind as you think about what you're doing. Because for some people, you know, you may realize uh, as you're going through your journey, you know, that you want to write a blog, but you also want to have a service-based business. I mean, I know plenty of people who learn a lot about blogging and then decide to be virtual assistants or decide to do some sort of specialized thing that they really geek out about, like SEO or um, Pinterest or, you know, graphics or whatever it may be. And, and that sort of becomes, you know, maybe a website with their name on it. And that would be like where they send people when they're interested in hiring them for things. So, you know, that kind of stuff works seamlessly together. But when you're trying to create two real blog platforms, it is so hard unless you have a spouse who's running the other one or a sister or a sibling. I don't know, just whatever. It takes more than one person usually to run two successful platforms. It's very, very difficult. Um, so don't let 
starting a bunch of blogs as you get really excited about blogging derail you from having one strong, successful thing. I mean, if you've built a really strong, successful thing and now you're ready to take on something else, go for it. I know plenty of my friends who have done that. They have built really strong businesses online and then they get an itch to try something else. And so they do. Um, but at that point, that other platform in the same way was with me, Thrifty Little Mom was already successful. Thrifty Little Mom was already producing income. So that's what most of my friends do is they've got solid businesses already built and then they build out a second thing um, because it's what they're passionate about too. So things to keep in mind um, to keep you from being detoured. All right, next, number eight. <clears throat> People make impulsive decisions. So it might be to blow away half your email list. It might be because um, you're getting into that next level <laughs> where you have to pay for things. Um, it might be like you hate these 25 posts that you wrote, so you just blow them away. Um, there's a lot of reasons why it's better to like rework, cleanse, like do a few due diligence items before you just delete, blow away, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so I want to encourage you guys to make sure that before you do anything like that, that could potentially really detour you or you can regret after the fact, try to always sleep on these ideas that you have, like really like go to sleep, wake up the next day and ask yourself if you still feel the same way because sometimes it can be triggered by mood. Um, it can be triggered by a conversation that you've had. Um, and I would also seek feedback. So if you're in the Just Keep Blogging podcast Facebook group or if you're in the Just Keep Blogging mentored membership group, Get in those communities, ask for feedback, ask people what they think about these things before you make really super impulsive decisions because that group think environment, somebody might give you an idea that you just would not have come up with. And that idea might make it to the point where like you can modify what you're doing without completely blowing it away or deleting it or starting completely over or something along those lines. So just don't forget to consider a group think mentality and the importance of that. Uh, next, number nine, Last point, to keep you from getting on a detour, things you need to avoid, getting frustrated when something doesn't go as well as you thought that it should. So in everything that we do in blogging, there's time, right? It takes time. It takes practice. Just like the first time I got on a bicycle, I did not pedal and gloriously, you know, gloriously ride down the road with my arms wide open, flowers in my little basket, you know, any of that. Like, it was a mess. I fell. I hurt my knees. I scratched myself. I bled. There were all these things that happened. And, and across the board, even with blogging, even with brick and mortar businesses, I tell people, like, there is at least a two-year window where you are just learning, growing, surviving. And you have to give yourself that grace, no matter what the success stories you hear, no matter how uh, awesome that launch product that you bought was supposed to go and your numbers did not match what normally, like whatever your, whatever the success stories that went along with that were, you know, like there is so much involved in having successful launches or having successful um, sales of products or whatever. Like that's why 
a lot of times when I'm working with coaching clients, like the thing that we're working on is tweaking and testing and tweaking and testing. And so when they set up a tripwire on their website or some sort of sales page, like we're watching conversions and we're tracking conversions and we're seeing how we can modify or improve those conversions. Um, there's so many things that go into that. It's, it's really learning the art of good copywriting, right? Writing good copy hitting the pain points of your audience and being a good communicator. And that's not something that most people have overnight unless you are going into blogging straight out of a marketing job somewhere. If you're not, my dear friend, give yourself some grace and know that just because the first time you launch something doesn't mean that nobody wanted it and it doesn't mean that it didn't go well. It might just be the math. And I really want to encourage you guys to know like if something that you do fails, all we need to do is keep it the same. Like let's say you're launching an ebook to an email list and it doesn't go as well as you think. Then we need to go back to the drawing board and we need to go and we need to see did the buttons, you know, make sure the buttons worked. You know, how did that thing look on mobile? Was the copy compelling or was it just sort of like, meh? Would the copy you wrote compel you to buy that thing? Like there's so many variables. So please, dear friends, when you launch something, know that you need to launch it several, several, several times. And when you launch it, you need to be prepared to get feedback, to tweak it, to test it, and not be afraid to do those things and not be afraid to fail. Because I promise you, the first time you do anything, especially with trying to sell something, launch something, sell something, it will probably suck. It probably will not go well. And you will be utterly disappointed. And you will say to yourself, I am never selling anything again. But it just takes practice. It takes um, learning more. It takes implementation and it takes just working hard and not giving up. And so you will get it eventually. It will make sense. You will make sales. It just takes time. And every time that you throw in the towel, you're setting yourself back because usually I can promise you it has very little to do with what you made. Because if you made like an excellent ebook or an excellent workbook and you know it's really good, it probably comes down to the way that you communicated it. Because sales have a lot to do with sales copy more than anything else. And that's what you need to master. Okay, so just to recap today's episode, the nine top blogging detours that we need to avoid is number one, getting sidetracked by success stories. Two, making a decision based on what's popular instead of what your niche wants or what your audience wants. Three, overthinking your audience. Four, putting your blog in a small box, trying to make it perfect when it is a dynamic, changing, growing thing. Five, niching down too far. Six, avoiding your own work to help others with theirs. Seven, creating a bunch of blogs to try to run them because you are just trying to make something work. Remember, just hoard the domain. Buy the domain, hoard it, put it to the side. <laughs> Eight, make impulse decisions. These are things that can derail you. Try to always sleep on it and get feedback. And nine, try to avoid getting frustrated when something doesn't go as well as you thought that it should. Give it another try, tweak it, test it, go again. Tweak it, test it, go again. Grow your list, tweak it, test it, go again. That is the art of continuing to get over speed bumps, getting momentum, not giving up and not backing down because it does work, but you have to keep going and you have to just keep blogging. 
Thank you for listening to the Just Keep Buying Podcast. Be sure that you join the Just Keep Logging Mentor membership. You get a special deal for listening to podcast. Follow the link. Use code podcast deal. One more time. Podcast deal. See you later.